It's amazing and moving to see walls fall down. I remember November 9th, 1989. I was 11 years old. It was a huge event. The Berlin Wall falls down. Watching the news, and I was captivated, even as an 11-year-old, to see the Berlin Wall come down, see families and friends united between East and West Uh, Germany. If you uh, were old enough to remember that, you probably remember that very much uh, as well. And what we find in our text is Paul is encouraging and he is challenging this wall of division that had come up between Jews and Gentiles that it would be broken down in Christ. So we've been reconciled to God, but we've also been reconciled to one another. There's a part of this text where you almost want to apply it to a wall of division that's between a husband and wife or a wall of division that is there between a, a parent and a child. And though that could be an application, that's not the primary text that it is being written to. That's not the context of what is being addressed. What's addressed is this division between Jews and Gentiles now coming together in a new identity called the church, the the body of Christ. This is Kent Hughes' words out of his commentary. He says this, A study of history of the ancient world tells us that none of today's social distinctions... None of our racial barriers, our our narrow nationalism, our iron curtains are more exclusive or unrelenting than the separation between Jews and Gentiles in biblical times. The Jews believe that Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. A common motto was, the best of the serpents crush, the best of the Gentiles kill. It was not lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth, for that would bring another heathen into the world. That's the way a lot of Jews felt about Gentiles. How did the Gentiles feel about Jews? The Gentiles, even apart from their animosity for Jews, had their own hatred for anyone not like them. These are the words of Plato. Plato said that the barbarians, anyone non-Greek, were his enemies by nature. So as much as that we esteem Plato, the way that he viewed the world was anybody who was non-Greek was his enemy. Of course, this was eminently true of the imperialistic Romans. What was the attitude of the Roman Empire? You were either Roman or you weren't. And if you weren't Roman, they were going to conquer you. The collision of the Gentile Jewish was exclusive and monumental. The Gentiles were dogs in the Jewish mindset, and the Jews were homicidal enemies of the human race in Gentile terms. Remember the feel of this city, Ephesus, in which Paul is writing to. It's a large city on the Mediterranean Sea where you do have lots of Jews, you do have lots of Gentiles, and lots of other people groups as well. And culturally, they're separated from one another. They're not in relationship with each other. All kinds of prejudice and all kinds of of racism. God moves, the gospel comes into Ephesus, they get saved, and they're gathered together, now in one setting, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the same Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And Paul now begins to address some of the division that was in the church to say, make sure that you're loving one another. I think that this is highly applicable for us today. You could make an argument that the United States has never been more divided. It is an intense time that we are living in. We're divided racially. 
We're divided economically. We're divided politically. It would be an interesting experience this morning inside of the church as believers if we said, after service, we're going to do something different. We're all going to go to the foyer, sit down in tables, say we had enough tables for everyone, and we're going to talk about our political views. Right? Everybody would be hitting these exits, right? They're like, and this is inside of the body of Christ. How about this? Could you fellowship and have friendship with another Christian who they're clearly a Christian? They clearly believe the gospel, articulate the gospel. There's the fruit of the spirit in their life and they have a different political view than you. They vote differently than you. That's how sharp this division is right now. How how quick are you to doubt someone's salvation if they have a different political view than you? And is that right? Is, this, is that the Jew-Gentile divide that, that has taken place? And here's the challenge. And I think it was the challenge for the church of Ephesus as well. As much as this division is happening out there in culture and society, it should not be happening in here. Amen? And the banner of Jesus Christ, the banner of the cross, and what we're going to study this morning is so strong, so deep, so powerful that the grace that God has showed to us should result in loving one another. So that if someone is different than me, they don't look like me, they have differing views politically than me, that the love of Jesus Christ has made us brothers and sisters in Christ and we can truly love one another. As I've been thinking about this and examining this, I think this reality that we tend to be uncomfortable with someone who is not like us is very real. You know, if you take one child who looks different than all of the other kindergartners and put him into a classroom, some, one of his physical features is is different. How are those other students going to respond? Probably the majority of kids are going to start to ostracize that one student at a a very uh, young age. What, what is behind this? Why is there so much division? Why is there prejudice? Why is there racism? Why do we see this in our country? But not only in our country, it's fascinating when you go to Uganda. Inside of Uganda, you have a lot of different tribes. And these tribes hate each other. And they have different dialects. They have different languages. And it is the biggest stream of influence that's happening in Uganda to where at any moment something can spark that hatred and there will be genocide. And we've seen that happen in different parts of Africa. Why do you find in the Middle East, amongst Arabs, this hatred and this division inside of Islam with Sunni and Shiite? They're of the same country. They're of the same nationality, but yet they hate each other and many times will get to the point of killing each other over a division of what they believe about Islam. Satan's tactic is what? To divide and conquer. If he can divide, he can conquer. If there's division, there's going to be destruction. So ultimately, Satan is behind this. He's going, look, don't, don't like somebody who's different than you. Don't, don't appreciate them. You know, you should, you should be careful. And then you see the extreme of that. But from God's perspective, he has created the diversity, hasn't he? We're all created in, in his image. We're all, 
if we're in Christ, we're in the, the family of God. And instead of being intimidated by someone who is different in us, to be able to love them in Jesus Christ. So I think I would like to pose a difficult question for you and for myself this morning. Is there a certain group of people or a certain person, even inside of Christ, that you have a difficult time being in friendship with and in fellowship with? And is that right? Is that right? Could we get to the place where we say, you know what, it doesn't matter the color of someone's skin. It doesn't matter their economic background. It doesn't matter their education. Their personality is not the driving issue. We're in Christ. And that's big enough, that's strong enough that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we can truly love one another. So that was the challenge for the church of Ephesus. I think it's the challenge for us as well. How does this fit into identity? These first three chapters really deal with our position in Christ. And I think this is so beautiful and powerful is our position in Christ is not simply just exclusive of me and Christ, but because I'm in Christ, I've been brought into the body of Christ and we're together. So I have identity individually with Christ, but I also have identity as being part of the body of Christ. And there's power in togetherness forming identity. That's what we experience in our families. My wife and I, we've got four kids, so we jokingly call ourselves the Cartier clan. We're, we're a small herd when we go somewhere, and we emphasize with the kids, like, we are together. We, we, are, we are a family. You know, don't let somebody beat up on your brother or sister. Like, we, we stick up for, for, for each other, right? And so, how much more so is the family of God? We, we're, we're together. Maybe you were on a sports team, and the kind of fellowship that you have on that team is you work hard together and try to achieve this goal. And so God's saying your identity is also formed in the fact that I have made you part of the body of Christ. So let's get into our text, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So what is Jew and Gentile? You may be saying, can we pause a little bit? I'm not really sure on those, those terms. So Jew, in the very simplest form, is someone who's from Israel. They're, they're ethnically from, from Israel. And then Gentiles is everybody who is not Jewish ethnically. So that would be most of us. Most of us are, are probably uh, Gentiles. And Paul here is first addressing the Gentile believers at the church of Ephesus. And he says, I want you to remember, I want you to stop and, and consider who you were before you got saved, before this position in Christ. He says, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand. Circumcision was an outward act, something that was done to males physically. If you don't know what circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it. It's just too awkward. Uh, you can Google it. No, no, don't Google it. That's a bad idea. Just. But it was an outward act. But it was not simply just to be a mark of the flesh, but it was to represent a heart that was surrendered to God, a heart that had entered into the commitment. But the Gentiles were, were uncircumcised. In verse 12, that at a time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
five things that the Gentiles did not have. And the first is they were without Christ, without the Messiah. The word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. They're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, didn't have citizenship in Israel. Then we see strangers from the covenants of the promise. They didn't have the covenants of God. The covenants of God were given to the nation of Israel. And the result then is they were hopeless and they were godless. Why would Paul remind the Gentile believers of this? Because as they're fellowshipping with with Jews and now a part of the body of Christ together, there's this tendency among, among Gentiles to not really get Jews, to not really understand where they're coming from and their perspective of the law. And Paul would also write in the book of Romans speaking to Gentiles and saying, don't be arrogant because you were were grafted in. And so I think that the encouragement here to to Gentiles is remember where you came from, remember that you were alienated, and remember that you are afar off so that you're thankful for what you have been brought into instead of being, being arrogant. Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The key is the blood of Christ. The key is the sacrifice of Christ. Christ's crucifixion brought Gentiles near, near to God and near to Jews in this new identity, the body of Christ. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. The blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Christ allows us to experience reconciliation with God, forgiveness with God, and also being brought into fellowship with people that we would never normally associate apart from Christ. That's the beauty of the work of Christ in our lives. Maybe you've never had this experience, but I hope that you have. I hope that you have a friend in Christ that apart from Christ, you would never hang out with. You don't like the same things. You didn't come from the same background. Maybe your personalities even grade on each other a little bit. But the blood of Jesus is that powerful that has brought you into fellowship and saying, we have the greatest thing in common. And that's Jesus. We both love Jesus. Our faith is in the blood of Jesus. We have forgiveness in Christ. And because Christ is so great, then this wonderful friendship has, has developed. Um, I went to a Bible college for two years and then a school of ministry at our church in southern Oregon. The church was able to buy a house close to the, to, to the church property. And 25 uh, of us guys lived in a, a four-bedroom house. It was quite an experiment, right? <laughs> it was done on a low budget, so every morning we had breakfast. Every morning it was oatmeal for breakfast. Every lunch was beans and rice. That's what we were served. But dinner was good, right? And you can imagine taking 25 young guys in their late teens, early 20s, and throwing them under one roof. Uh, We didn't always get along. And there was one guy that just really bothered me. And I really bothered him. We, We butt heads. And very quickly we realized this is going to be a very long year. So he came up with the idea. He said, why don't we once a week try to go for a walk and just pray together? How do you say no to that, right? Like, like, no, I'm not going to do that, right? You know, it's like, okay, let's let's do that. And probably the second or third time, something started to change change in my heart. uh, And I, as I began to hear his heart being expressed before God. And now, almost 20 years later, uh, 
he's the one that I stay, stay in touch with. Of all of those 25 guys, he's my, my, my strongest friend out of, out of that group. And that was Christ. That's the power of Christ. Not necessarily him or me. We were both sinful and stubborn. But that's the difference of as you put the focus on Christ and the blood of Jesus, how we're brought near to God and brought near to one another. In verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. As we've described, this this separation between Jews and, and Gentiles, this wall of separation, the scriptures give us understanding of how great this wall was as Peter, the apostle in the book of Acts, was being called by God to go and eat with a Gentile. It was difficult for him. God had to give him a vision. He was waiting for dinner, and the vision was of all of these unclean animals, and God says, rise, kill, and eat. What every man longs to hear from God. It's barbecue time. Rise, kill, and eat. But not this time for Peter. He's like, Lord, I can't eat that. This is unclean. I'm a Jew. I'm called to this kosher diet. And God's message was not about the food, but the Gentiles. What I have called clean and what I have made clean, don't, don't call unclean. And he gets a knock on the door, and it's a messenger saying, would you come to Cornelius' house, this Gentile? If God hadn't have spoken to Peter, the indication is he wouldn't have gone. But he chooses to go, and he goes in the house, and he sh- eats with them and shares with them, and Cornelius and his household get saved. There's a point where Peter is now hanging out with Gentiles, enjoying fellowship with Gentiles, but then Jews that believed in Christ showed up that Peter respected, and he withdrew from the Gentiles. He didn't want to be seen hanging out with the Gentiles. And this is after Peter's walk with the Lord and is being used by the Lord, and Paul has to write him and rebuke him and and correct him. So this is a, a big wall of division, but God says that he's our peace. He's broken down this wall of separation. And notice, he's made both one. Jew and Gentile are one. We're together as one. Amber, my wife, has been experimenting with baking sourdough bread, which is, which is new for her. And I've been watching this process uh, happen. And what she's found to work for her is to take some white flour and whole wheat flour with the sourdough starter and put them together. And you wouldn't normally have the white flour with the whole wheat flour. Two separate flours that tend not to go together. I mean, you either tend to get a a bread that's white bread or you tend to get the whole wheat bread, but she's put them together. And as I was enjoying the bread, I go, wow, this is what God has done with Jews and Gentiles. He's taken two that are separate and he's made it one. You, You can't separate the bread after it's baked. You, you can't go in there and go, okay, this was where the white flour is. This is where the whole wheat flour is. It, it is one. And this is what God has done. He's taken people of all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different preferences, likes, and dislikes, and he's put us together as one. And that's a beautiful work of God in our lives in the body of Christ. Colossians 3 says this, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. An amazing thing that Christ has done. We're together as one. In verse 15, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man from two, making peace. 
So this unity is there's a togetherness as a new man. God has provided a new identity. He's taken away the enmity through his flesh, through his sacrifice upon the cross, the law of commandments contained an ordinance. The, the law in and of themselves did create some of this division between Jew and Gentile. If, if the Gentiles didn't follow the law, then they were separated from the, the Jewish community. Even in the way the temple was built, you have the court of Gentiles. You're a Gentile. You're uncircumcised. You haven't entered into this covenant under the, under the law, so, so you need to stay out there. And all of that was abolished in Christ's flesh. Christ fulfilled the law, and he made peace between the two. He's created a, a new man. Bishop John Green was driving school bus in Australia. This is a, a true story. And on his school bus, he had some Aborigine boys, and he had some, some white boys, Caucasian boys, and they were all fighting with each other, and there was this racism and prejudice and all kinds of harsh things going back and forth. And Bishop John Green got tired of it, and he pulled the bus over, and he said, okay, boys, what color are you? And they said, well, we're white. And the other boys, what color are you? Well, we're black. And he says, on my bus, there's no longer black or white. Everybody's green. All of you are green. There's, there's a new identity here. We're, we're green. And Gets the bus down the road, and this worked for a little while. Then he looked in the rearview mirror, and he hears the kids talking, and they're separating between dark green and light green. <laughs> but Bishop John Kelly had the right idea, didn't he? To say, there is a, a new identity, there's a new man that has been created, and we are now in Christ. This is part of our position in Christ. This is part of our identity that is, is in Christ. And this is important for us to embrace and, and understand. And I want us to think this through a little bit. As, as part of this new man is we don't lose our culture or lose our identity, but our culture and our identity is redeemed and accepted and celebrated inside of, of Christ. Follow this with me. Because when we see in Revelation, around the throne room of God, there's all tribes, tongues, and nations. So God is not ashamed the way that he has made us. Amen? And so you don't, you don't lose the culture that God gave you. You, know, you don't lose the, the skin color that God gave you. The idea is the diversity is beautiful. God, God wants all languages to be represented at his throne. He wants all cultures to be represented at his throne. But what is now absent is a hatred for one another. What is now absent is this uncomfortability of, of you're not like me, so I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm going to separate myself from you. I think that this, this new man that God has made us is so powerful and, and wonderful. I mean, to think about this morning, that throughout the world, churches are gathering and worshiping the Lord in so many different languages. That's the body of Christ. That, that's, that's the new man. I get so excited when I have the opportunity to hear God be praised in another language. I don't understand the language. I'm not even very good at English, let alone trying to learn another language, right? But I can sit back and I can appreciate the worship that is, is taking place. And sometimes it's a, a worship song that I recognize. It's a song that, that we sing here. 
And I go, oh, I, I, I know this song, but there's something new and there's something fresh that has been, been taken place in this. And, and that's represented here in, in the new man that the Lord has created, the new identity in which the Lord is formed. In verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enemy, the enmity, the cross reconciles us to God and to one another. He has reconciled us to God. He has destroyed the, the enmity, the hatred. He has reconciled us to God and to one another. And notice it says that we're one body. We're together as one body. And in a body, there's diversity. In a body, there's differences, but there's unity. Aren't you thankful that your physical body has unity? Aren't you glad that your, your ear appreciates your mouth and your, your mouth appreciates your hand? I mean, what if your mouth didn't like your hand and you were going to eat and all of a sudden your mouth is like, you know, biting off your hand? And it, There's unity there. God has given us diversity, but we are one body and he is, he's taken away the hatred, the enmity that has, has taken place. I try to imagine what this was like in the, in the church of Ephesus and I'm sure that some of these divisions, some of these walls of separation were very deep and there was probably wrongs that had gone back through generation between Jews and, and Gentiles. There could have been a Gentile neighbor that a Jew never talked to and the, the Gentile never talked to as well and you lived on the same street. All of a sudden they both get saved and they're in church together and God reconciles that as they focus upon Christ and now they have deep fellowship with one another. You know, there may have been a, even some kinds of, of evil and atrocities that had been committed against families. And wait a second, your, your dad did this to, to my dad. I mean, that, that's the reality of some, some of these, these issues. But now we're in Christ, and so because of the cross, because we both believe in Jesus the hatred has been taken away. The enmity has, has been taken away. We see this type of res reconciliation taking place with Elizabeth Elliot. Her story is that her and her husband were, were missionaries. And Jim Elliot was, was killed by the Indians that they were trying to reach. With a few others as well. Elizabeth Elliot has a, a young child she decides to go back and live among the Indians that took her husband's life, also with her sister-in-law. That is an amazing display of the love that can only result from the cross. Eventually, some Indians get saved, and they become her brothers and sisters in Christ, and they have an incredible fellowship together, the power of, of reconciliation. So if there is a, a group of people that for some reason, in my heart, I've developed a prejudice towards, I have to realize that I'm failing to apply the cross. I, I have an issue with God when it comes to the cross. Because if I look at the cross, I realize, man, God loves them. God died for them. God loves me. He died for me. And they're my brother and sister in Christ. So I have to let that hatred go. I've got to let that uncomfortability go. I got to be honest with myself and say, well, I treat this group of people this way and I treat this other group of people another way. The enmity dies at the cross, amen? 
We say, I'm going to allow the cross to impact me in that way to where then love flows instead of hatred. And, and God has the ability to do that as we're together in, in one body. In verse 19, and he came and preached to those who were afar off and to those who were near. Jesus preached to the Gentile who was far off. He preached to the Jew who was near. That's what the text indicates. Those who were near were the Jews. Those who were afar off were the Gentiles. Jesus came with the whosoever message. Whosoever believes will have everlasting life. And through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. The Trinity is mentioned here. Through him, through Jesus, we have access by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, resulting in access. We're together in one access to the Father. What makes a, a biological family a family? Is you, you have access to the same parent, right? From, from a biological sense. Uh, my, my, my kids, you know, I'm, I'm their dad. And so they all have access to the same dad. They have access to the, the same mom. And what the message is being declared here in verse 18 is inside of the body of Christ and inside of our position in the body of Christ, we're all talking to the same dad. So if I'm sitting here having a difficulty with another believer because they're not like me, I've got to stop and realize, wait a second, we've got the same Heavenly Father. We're going to spend eternity together. It might be time for us to start getting along and appreciating each other and being okay with each other's differences, that God has created us different. We come from different backgrounds and, and different cultures. We have the same Savior. We believe in the same Jesus who died for our sins and, and rose again. We have the same Spirit living inside of us. We're together in, in one access. In verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. We're fellow citizens. And our citizenship is in, in heaven. And this citizenship includes Jews and Gentiles and people from all walks of life. God calls us saints, which means we're set apart from him and we're members in the household of God. You think about having a, a membership. You've got the membership to the greatest household, the household of God. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you're a member in the body of Christ. Sometimes here we'll, we'll get the question, do you have membership at Rocky Mountain Calvary? How do I become a member at, at Rocky Mountain Calvary? And we don't have membership. And the reason is, is because the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you became a member in the body of Christ Big C, big church, not just Rocky Mountain Calvary, but we're linked together with all believers. We want to emphasize the whole body of Christ, not particularly what one fellowship. There's nothing wrong with membership. I think it is healthy to pray through, am I committed to this local church? Is this is where God has, has called me to be? But ultimately, our membership is in something far bigger than, than one particular local church. So together, all together, we're at the household of God. In verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we're built on the teaching of the apostles and the prophets as they pointed to Christ. The teaching of the apostles and the prophets pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, meaning that everything is built upon him. 
The cornerstone was the most important piece of the building that everything else was, was taken off of, all of the measurements and dimensions, and we are built upon Jesus Christ as we come together, verse 26 or 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Peter calls us living stones in 1 Peter 2 Verse four, describing the same process that we're being fit together to be the temple, the the habitation of God. Now this sounds wonderful, and it is, that together we are the building of God. But what happens when you take stones and you fit them together to form a building? There's some rough edges that have got to be knocked off, right? In order for these stones to be able to come together. And God uses other believers in our lives, believers that maybe even sometimes hurt us, believers that aren't like us, believers that have different personalities, that rub us like sandpaper. Why? Because he knows that that's the way our rough edges are going to be knocked off so that we can be fit together to be the household of God. And honestly, church, this is oftentimes when we opt out. And we say, you know what? It's not worth it. I don't want to be in relationship with other believers because I don't want to go through this process of being sanctified, of being more like Christ. I don't want the rough edges to be knocked off. And this is a hard one in our cultural worldview. Each culture has a, has a worldview. And as Westerners, as citizens of the United States of America, we have a very individualistic mindset. That's the way we're raised. That, that's our, there's our culture. And there's some really good things about that. But there's also some fallen aspects to that as well. So when we tend to think about every aspect of life, we think about it as an individual. Most of the rest of the world has a family worldview. So when they're making decisions, they make it through the lens of the family. They wouldn't even consider just making a decision as an individual, they're going to make it together as a whole. So how does that then correlate to our relationship with God? As a lot of times we think of a relationship with God as Jesus and me, Jesus and me, Jesus and me, Jesus and me. And there's some healthy aspects to that because it tends to be very personal, which God desires. And that is an aspect of our relationship with the Lord is us in Christ. But what do we tend to, to neglect? We tend to neglect the one another. We, we tend to neglect the together. We tend to neglect the fact that I can't do this apart from the body of Christ and I'm being fitted together with other believers. It's a phrase throughout the te- New Testament, one another. It's very difficult to live out your Christian life if you're not in relationship with other believers. Love one another. How do you do that with Jesus and me? It doesn't work, right? It, you've got to be in relationship uh, with people. And so, have you ever owned the fact that you are part of the body of Christ? Maybe you haven't realized it, and today the light bulb goes on. I'm going to be missing out on something with my relationship with the Lord if I'm not committed to believers. If I'm not in relationship with believers. And yes, they're going to rub me the wrong way. And I'm going to rub them the wrong way. I'm going to sin against them. They're, they're going to sin, sin against me. But 
I individually don't make up the habitation of God. I'm a part of that, but us collectively, we make up the habitation of God, the body of Christ as a whole and as an entirety. You know, as we think about this, this text and this uh, section of scripture, and as crazy as culture is and as divided as, as culture is, I think it's even more important that we understand the truth of loving one another inside of the body of Christ. In Ephesus, I'm sure word got around that Jews and Gentiles were hanging out together. The Jews and Gentiles were loving each other and caring for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church as a whole was known for their love for one another? Hey, there's people at Rocky Mountain Calvary that wouldn't normally be best friends, but they're, they're best friends. Something is going on there. You know, the love of Christ is, is being expressed. What didn't happen in the church of Ephesus as Christ moved is there wasn't the first church of the Messianic Jews and the first church of the heathen pagan Gentiles. There was one church. There was one church. <clears throat> Do you think God this morning sees Rocky Mountain Calvary and Vanguard and Discovery Church and New Life and Woodman Valley and Vista Ground Baptist. He sees all his kids. He sees all of his kids. Those that trust Christ for salvation. It, it is one family, you know? And maybe there's a hardness of heart toward, towards other believers, Maybe you get uncomfortable by believers that do church different than us. And you're like, man, they dance in church. I don't know if that's okay. And I don't think I'd ever go there. And You know, when their music is so loud, it makes my ears bleed. And, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if they love Jesus. You know, they sing hymns. I can't believe that they sing hymns. They, they wear suits to church. That makes me so uncomfortable, right? You know, before you know it, we can start getting divided. God wants us to love one another. This is where it really comes to play in our, our hearts and our lives as we watch the flow in the book of Ephesians, is if we understand God's grace in our lives, if we understand Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that we're saved by grace through faith, it's a gift of God, God, I'm such a wretch. I'm so broken before you. Yet you have forgiven me. You've saved me by your grace. Then guess what? We're going to have the grace to pour on to others that apart from Christ, unfortunately, would make us uncomfortable. It's God's grace being a reality in our lives. Two questions and then we're done. Am I holding on to a Jew-Gentile division in my heart? Am I holding on to a Jew-Gentile division in my heart? And then, have I identified with the body of Christ as a whole? Have I identified with the fact that we're together making the habitation of God? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for 
the diversity in which you have created us in your image. We thank you for the different cultures and the different ethnic groups. And unfortunately, apart from Christ, that is something that too many times we allow our, our flesh to go the way of the enemy to cause division. And Lord, we just pray this morning through the power of the cross that we would come to a place of loving one another, no matter what our backgrounds are. If there is prejudice in our hearts and racism in our hearts, God, would you reveal it and would you show it and may that be taken away at the cross. God, would you give us a love for for all people, all walks of life. So would you grow us in these things? We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.